Welcome to the Creative Coaching Podcast, where we bring together coaches, athletes, former athletes, leaders, and influencers. Everyone has a story, and my hope is that when you listen to their stories, you will be inspired and live your life to tell your story one day. Today's guest is Maurice Sumter. Coach Sumter is an assistant coach at Virginia State. We talked to him today about how coaching fills a certain void in his life, building relationships, and asking ourselves the question, am I adding value to the program that I'm a part of? I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Coach Sumter, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Uh, they're at Virginia State University, where you coach now, an assistant coach. Uh, I, I kind of go down the line of what you've done and where you've been. You have a lot of experience from 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 playing the game uh, as a Division One athlete, and then also mm-hmm. uh, coaching. You know, I saw somewhere where it said you volunteered at Old Dominion and at, yeah. Shaw, at Shaw University. So I think those yes, those type yeah those type of things, man. I'm I'm really looking to get to dig into and kind of finding out more about yourself. But uh, getting to the to the question that we always get to to start it off is uh, how were you introduced to the game? Um, well, I uh, grew up in grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, which is a huge um, athlete population, basketball population. Uh, we have some of the stars, Allen Iverson, obviously Michael Vick. Those are two. Joe yeah. Smith was one of the guys I looked up to growing up. So um, in my neighborhood, every you played basketball. You when it's basketball season, you play football. When it's football season, yeah, you know. And when it was off season, you played more basketball because it was hot outside. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, then my then my older sister also played basketball, and I, I like to attribute a lot to her because not until I got older did I realize how big of a basketball influence she was on me. Really, you know, and yes, and she she and my older sister six one. So, okay. She she was taller than me until I was a senior in high school. Okay. <laughs> and, and she was a really, really good player. I mean, if you ask anyone from our area, they know exactly who she is. Um, so I, I typically name drop her name whenever I'm out of town and somebody knows there the area. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. And so she, she was a huge influence in, um, in making me tougher, you know, pushing me down, stuff that a big brother would do, per se. Yeah. But, you know, pushing me on the ground, grabbing me, Fouling me and I can't get the ball <laughs> after I call foul. Yeah, that kind of thing and just going to her games and between that and playing basketball in my neighborhood, going to the rec center was mostly what we did. Yeah, um, we we were playing basketball by any means. We had a, a older guy in the neighborhood who didn't have kids. He just had a bunch of dogs. And when the recreation center was closed, we shoveled the snow, uh, sweep the water off from the rain. We played in the snow, so. However, we, we made sure we played basketball, and that's kind of where the love and the, and the passion came from. Yeah, sounds like it, man. Like, you know, you're kind of changing with the seasons, everything that's going on. You're, you're being, you're being uh, uh, kind of multifaceted. Like, we, you know, a lot of kids now, they got to have a gym with a wooden floor and the AC. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's good. It's good that we have more facilities out there to provide for our young kids, but yeah, I remember back in the day, man. It didn't matter what was going on, man. You, I remember going to a project, to the projects here in San Antonio, and uh, my dad took me mm-hmm. over there, kind of gave me like a one of those uh, 
come, coming to God moments, like, appreciate what you have, son. Took me to one of the, the ghettos here in San Antonio, and there's a rim on a tree. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, ballers yeah. ball wherever they can. The love and the passion for we the game. The yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the, yeah, it's, it's a, with it. that's what's so beautiful about the game, man. It's so beautiful, and that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. Uh, so, Coach, exactly. I, I, I look at everything you did at Longwood University. Uh, you know, being being labeled by ESPN one of the top five greatest players at that school with some crazy numbers, Coach, scoring sixteen hundred, <laughs> po- huh? yeah, sixteen hundred <laughs> points, six uh, six hundred sixty-seven rebounds, two hundred seventy-four assists. 209 steals. I mean, you're all over the place, coach. Now, what yeah. was what was it like coming out of high school and, and kind of making that transition to college as as a, as a young man? Well, I know I know a lot of guys nowadays have their great stories of five star. You get to pick a school and post it on Instagram and all your offers, and you know that's kind of how it is now. But at a, at a earlier, more simpler time, <laughs> yeah. that was sending out your your tape. And you know, getting recruited, having guys come to the gym. So I was I was recruited by various teams in Virginia, especially, um, and, and a lot of Division twos out of North Carolina, which are huge in the Northern Virginia area. Yeah. Um, and so the transition was 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 different, but like I say, my passion for the game, I don't think anything could have ever overcome that. And I came into Longwood, where the backstory on Longwood in general is that they became Division one in 2003, which is the year I graduated. Yeah. Their first year declaring as a Division One school. And so the way Longwood got me was selling me on the the being the ground level of building the program. Yeah. And like since I was young, I always wanted to be something great and remembered and how better than be remembered than to start something yourself. Yeah, no, definitely. So like yeah, you tell so, um, you, yeah you tell that story and I don't mean to cut you off but you tell that story and I know of a lot of programs that are in that transition that kind of warm up year uh you know mm-hmm. to kind of cast vision to players you you sell them on that on that reality not not a dream but a reality of hey you get to start at something that uh nobody can say they were and and you're pretty much the first division 1 player to be part of that program so that must have been something really exciting exactly. It was. It was. It was special, and I and I hang my hat on that to this day to be the first Division One player ever in Longwood history. Um, that's that's important to me, and to see where the program is going now, and for to for ESPN to put out something such as that I'm a top five player of all time, you know, with the numbers and being first, and the transition we went through, and just not knowing that I wasn't going to NCAA tournament. You know, it was yeah. it was possible my by my senior year that we could qualify and we'd be in the conference. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but I knew that coming in. Yeah. And so I decided that this is something that I wanted to do. I wanted to anchor something new and special, even if it didn't result in all the the, the, the dreams that everybody dream of when you go to play college basketball. I knew that. Yeah. And I still wanted to be a part of it. And, and looking at it, Coach, you still got to go on and have a, a professional career in, in playing. And so kind of go through that and kind of how that uh, that all transpired. Well, as you say, the numbers the numbers are the numbers, you know, and um, of course we all have hopes of the NBA. And I honestly didn't even realize, I, I never really knew about overseas. I, I heard people mention it, but I never really heard about or thought about overseas until maybe my sophomore summer. Uh, one of my coaches put us, pulled me and one of my teammates to the side and, you know, 
said, you have a chance to play professionally um, after college, even if it's not the NBA, then, you know, they're overseas. And I was like, overseas? People, you know, go overseas and play? Yeah. You know, when I think back on it, I think all those guys that we thought disappeared after college and just went under a rock, they yeah. went to Europe. <laughs> you know, they went overseas, yeah. which we know now today with the yeah. information. But, you know, um, my dream has always been to be a professional player. And um, with with what transpired the next two years, you know, I wanted to go to the NBA. I had a couple looks. I talked to a few agents that talked about it. And uh, D-League was still in its infancy around this time. So D-League wasn't the route I chose. I got invited to a D-League tryout. And, um, you know, I kind of I declined it because when they said the money versus me going overseas and being in the D-League, I was like, why would I do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I said my plan was to go overseas two or three years and, you know, perform well enough that the NBA would call me over. I go to the tryout and, you know, I'd be in the NBA. Obviously, it didn't happen like that. But um, just playing basketball, scoring the numbers that I needed to score at that level and hiring an agent, which was a great agent with a courtside agency, which is one of the bigger agencies in Europe. Um, I was blessed to, to sign with them. And um, which, which was the same agent as one of my assistant coaches who played 13 years over there, Michael Huger, who's the head coach at Bowling Green now. Gotcha. Um, yeah, he was my college coach. He was really instrumental in me becoming a professional player, along with the other coaches as well. But he he gave me a real insight on it because I didn't, I had no idea what the process was about. Yeah. And so, um, you know, hired his agent, and we, you know, I went to Holland my first year, which was an amazing experience. I, it opened my eyes to a whole new world. Um, then after that, I went to Portugal and then Macedonia. And then I took my ACL following that Macedonia summer in a summer league game back in uh, Alexandria. So you bring up that ACL coach and I want to, and I want to touch on that too, because that's pretty much, much a, a sentence of like no more ball. You know what I mean? For a lot of people, mm-hmm. was it that for you? Mm-hmm. And is that kind of why you explored the option of coaching? Um, I'm going to start at the beginning. Well, um, when I took my ACL, I I didn't know I did it honestly, and I thought it was. I went to see a guy. He said it was my meniscus, um, so therefore I said, okay, it can heal on its own. I give it a couple months. Yeah, I had signed a year and a half contract in Macedonia, so I was expecting to go back to Macedonia the following year. So I went halfway through the first year, then I signed a whole another year, the second year. And when I took my ACL, I did, I didn't know. I thought it was my meniscus. It was heal on its own. It didn't heal needless to say. And then I went and got a second opinion on the MRI, maybe I would say seven months to a year later. And I played on it, put a knee brace on it and played. I was I was getting into coaching more so now, which is uh kind of the transition as well. I saw personal training and I just I didn't have the explosion that I once had. Yeah. Even after the surgery. I just didn't have the explosion that I once had and I felt like I didn't want to go back and not be the player that I was or be able to do the things that I, I normally did. As you said, my stats I did yeah. some of everything. Yeah. Like I'm a I have a motor, I play hard, I'm not a selfish player, so I'm willing to pass, rebound, play defense. All of that was a part of my game. And so if I couldn't do all those things, I felt like I didn't want to go back and be a shell of myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so my high school coach at T C Williams in Alexandria, remember the Titans movie? Yeah. That was my yeah, high yeah. school. And so he transitioned back down to where we both were from, which is the Tidewater area. Um, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, uh, Chesapeake, all those cities. He transitioned back to Indian River High School, which is where Alonzo Morning went. Yeah. So he was the coach there. And he had asked me a couple times as I was playing, uh, when are you going to come back and coach for me? When are you going to come back and coach? And I was like, oh, I'm still playing. I'm still playing. I'm still scoring playing. And once I took my ACL, 
and I knew I wasn't going to play anymore, I said, okay, I tried coaching because I never, ever thought about coaching before that. Before he asked me. I, I thought I was going to have a 10-year career, retire, start a business, and ride off into the sunset. Yeah, yeah. Um, so once once he told me that, once he asked me over and over, and then I finally decided to stop playing, I said, let me try it out and go and coach. And I had coached at summer camps and things like that, and it was cool because I was still playing. But once I went down and I coached, and I um, was assistant on uh, varsity, and it, it filled such a void that I that I couldn't, I had never felt since playing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, there yeah. was no other void that even came close to playing basketball at that level with the crowd and the work ethic and things like that until I started coaching. And I, when, once I felt that feeling, I said, wow, there it goes. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Wow. That's a great story, Coach, because that's uh, – I think a lot of guys, players right now, former players that are coaching even right now too can kind of relate to that and say, man, where do I f- – I think a lot of it's the competitiveness too we find that com- mm-hmm, that competitive sure. drive in us and if there's nothing to compete we kind of feel like man i don't i don't know i mean cuz when you're a player you're not normally thinking about you know mentoring guys and building them up character and building a culture yeah. you're thinking man i'm ready to to beat somebody i'm ready to, to <laughs> you know compete against somebody i mean yeah. if if you're if you're really in it to win it man you do those things so i think as a coach that right. transition from player to coach is kind of like that too it's like I need to fill that comp- that competitive void. And I think that's what you're talking about because I know I, I kind of, you know, not necessarily the same route, but something like that was what I felt. I was like, man, I love to compete, love to compete. What am I going to do to continue to compete after I'm done playing? And so that's that's a great, yeah. great story. So kind of going through here again, now you're volunteering at Old Dominion at Shaw University and you're working your way uh, in, in, the, in the coaching world. I, I see that, and I think to myself, okay, what, uh, what you know, kind of going through all that, what have you learned about yourself through everything to this point as, here again, player, coach, uh, mm-hmm. pro player, coaching at the, at the Division two level, all that stuff. What, what have you learned about yourself through all that? Oh, I've learned everything about myself. You know, as a player, you don't – your identity is basketball. Yeah. You know, basketball is such a major part. I've been playing basketball since I was five. And now I'm 20. Well, not now, but when I get done playing basketball, I'm 24, 25. So that's 20 years of always aspiring to get to the NBA or basketball. I had a game or I have to work out for this reason, that reason to take care of my body, you yeah. know, and then it's just over. And so, um, so once I got into coaching, I know nothing about the networking side. I just know that I know basketball know how to play I know basketball and so um I knew that I, I knew that I when I got done playing I knew that I didn't want to coach college just yet and because the Longwood staff was still at Longwood so I probably could have went there and been a grad assistant or Dobo or something like that but I knew that I wasn't ready to talk to 24 23 22 year olds at 24 25 yeah. and tell them how to play basketball I knew I wasn't ready for that yeah you know and so that's why I went to coach high school for three years. I went to coach high school. I wanted to get my feet wet. I wanted to understand the game and understand how to talk to the players and relate to them and, you know, figure out the ins and outs before I just dove into college, you know. And so um, and so I 
So once I felt like I was ready for college, I just started going to all the AAU tournaments. You know, Boo Williams Complex is here. Yeah. In Hampton. And yep. so, you know, I went there to, to network and mingle and do things like that. And I bumped into one of my old high school coaches that was at T.C. Williams. He was an assistant there, a guy named Daryl Butler, who was coached for 20 years at this point. You know, and like I said, I don't, I'm, I'm going into this thing pretty blind. And I saw him there, you know, shook hands. And now I'm trying to meet people and network. And he he called he texted me and said, um, "Give me your number." He he said, "Give me your number. Uh, I might have something for you." I said, "Okay, cool. You know, all right. No no timeline or anything." That's exactly what he said. "Give me your number. I might have something for you." I said, "Cool." And so he texted me. This was a Saturday. He texted me maybe Monday or Tuesday, uh-huh. and said, "How would you feel about volunteering down here at Shaw?" And I'm like, "Whoa, okay." I didn't expect him to hit me back that fast. That, yeah. that just wasn't even in my mind. Yeah. And when he said, come to volunteer at Shaw, I said, okay, this is my way in. What am I going to do? And um, I was in the transition of my life at that same time. Uh, I was working at a group. I worked at a group home for a couple of years um, called the Barry Robinson Center in Virginia. It's a, a full campus. I'm a sociology degree. So I worked at a group home. I was a counselor there, which I found a lot of fulfillment in, yeah. which later on prepared me for coaching. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's funny about that. I hear you. And yeah, and so um, I came down. Uh, I came down on the visit, checked it out, met the head coach. Daryl Butler was the assistant at the, at the time. Met the head coach, um, who's a who's a great guy. He's the head coach at Winston Salem now, uh, Winston Salem State in North Carolina. Uh, Cleo Hill. He um, they they gave me. We sat down with coach. We felt like it would be a good opportunity. You know, they embraced me and brought me in. And I just soaked it all in, soaked it in, soaked it in, and I learned so much that first year. And uh, so I had to essentially pick up and leave Raleigh. I had just had a son. My son was just born. He was in Virginia. Um, so I had to pick up and move to Raleigh. I had to make a real decision yeah. to, you know, leave my son in his first year to go there and figure out if this is something that I want to do. And so the travel back and forth, seeing my son and, you know, the late nights picking him up, bringing him down, that, that thing it was hard, Yeah, you know. And it's hard to work another job. Yeah. And coach at the same time. It's, yeah, it's tough. You have to find the perfect job to do that. And so I sold, I sold direct TV in Costco, um, and that's all compensation. So whatever you sell is what you get. That's real, coach. So, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's what I was in Costco. I'm the guy in Costco that that annoyed people. Hey, you want to buy some direct TV? Hey, what you doing? You know, that <laughs> yeah. was me. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, coaching on the road. You know, and they were very flexible with it because, you know, like I say, the time you put in is the time you get out at with yeah. that job. And so I'm doing both of those things, trying to make ends meet at the same time. Now I have a son. Now the season is here. You know, so it was it was it was big, it was tough, it was hard, but it was like I said, it was something that I, I wanted and it was nothing else I wanted to do. I did the office job. I sold insurance when I was coaching high school, knew that wasn't for me, sitting in the office all day. Um you know, so volunteered at Shaw. My first year there, we got fired. The whole staff gets fired. It was the last year they contract. I knew that as well. So I moved back home to Virginia, went back to the group home, and I had worked basketball camp at ODU. And I knew some of those guys, so I asked and I worked basketball camp. And they were like, sure, come and work basketball camp. Worked at camp. You know, they, they felt like I did a pretty solid job. You know, I had connections with two of the coaches, Coach Stiff, Brian Stiff, yeah. who used to be in the NBA for yeah. the Nuggets, and um, Lamar Butler, who was a guy that I played high school against one of his, against his team and 
played AAU with one of his players back up there. He was from Maryland. Yeah. He just finished at Hofstra. Um, so we had a connection. So I had connected with those two guys. They, you know, they put me in the position. They said, you can volunteer. You can come in. So I used to go to workouts early in the morning. Um, up, sit up top. They had like a, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but it was up high in the practice room where the the film guy, Chris Cavinci, who just got assistant coach job there as well, um, just got bumped up. He um, was the video guy, and I sit up there, watch the video with him, just take in all the things he said. He put me through some things so I can learn the video side of things. Yeah. Um, and it was all about learning every facet of it. And ODU, I, I appreciate them every time I see them for allowing me to just be a fly on the wall with the program, and we see yeah. what their program has developed into this year. That you know, Coach, you're you're going down the line there, and I'm hearing it, man. I'm hearing like how you what you learn, like it, through all these experiences, like. You're learning who you are, what you're really called to do, not just kind of what, mm-hmm. what you're interested in. Because you don't do all those things. You don't grind that hard if it's something that you're just mildly interested in. It's like, nah, man, you, no way. there's no way you do all especially the time with your son. Now, you know, yeah. I always ask a question about sacrifice. and But in the long run, I think to kind of change the view up, you know, uh, Kevin Eastman talks about sacrifice and how to kind of rename it into deposits, like how you deposit mm-hmm. and what you talked about getting in what you put in, getting out what you put in. Yeah. So I think I think all of that's coming through with what you're saying. Uh, so so to move to to move to like already you in a coaching position and in that role, serving in that role. What has like the feedback or the criticism that you've gotten? How has that uh, played a role in your career? Because we all have to adjust because no one is perfect. We all have to get better. That's mm-hmm. just the that's just the facts of it. What what has feedback or criticism? Uh, what role has that played in your career? Um, if I'm understanding you right, I want um, the feedback and criticism from family or the players. Well, or my ma- ma- mainly, well, it could you know it could be anything. You know, hey, you're spending too much time okay. at the at the job. From the family, oh, yeah. uh, your the coaching staff, your head coach is like, hey, you know, it'd be better if you did X, Y, and Z rather than you know all this. Like, yeah. you know, coming from anybody in the program or even in your life, what is what has that taught you as as far as is in, in your career? Like, do you take it con- constructively, or how do you, how do you process that feedback? Yeah, I I, I process it as you know, um, it's it's important to have a good support system. Yeah. You know, that's that's very, very important when you're doing what we do uh, and what I did as far as my personal sacrifice for my career. Because if those people don't support you, then it, it makes it 10 times harder. Yeah. And my mother and my son's mother and my family are amazing at support. They, they, I, I'm not even having this conversation. I'm working in insurance right now or I'm a social worker right now if, that, if I don't have their support because that's what brings the money in. That's yeah. what would allow me to provide the financial part about it instead of my passion. And without their support, like I say, my mother and my son's mother in particular, those two people are amazing when it comes to the support of me and understanding my goal and my dream and the energy that I put into it and how bad I want it. They're amazing at that. And I, I couldn't, there's no reward I could have for them because time you can't get back. Yeah, definitely. And not spending that time with my son hurts. Sometimes I have to miss things. And sometimes, I have to make it to things, and they they are just as hard because yeah. he lives typically an hour away. When I was in Norfolk, he was an hour away. When I was in 
Um, Raleigh, he was two hours away. Then I went to Philly for Juco. He was four hours away. So driving, hitting 95 to go just pop up at school because his behavior is not good. (laughs) That was, that was a thing. I had to do that. Um, going to school, being there at school the first day, graduation from pre-K and kindergarten and, you know, they graduate from everything now. So, you know, um, taking that four and five hour trip in a day, just having to do that on a Friday and coming back on a Sunday, those things are part of the sacrifice that yeah. you, you know, you have to make on both ends. Gotcha. And I yeah. sacrifice my time, my body, my car, everything <laughs> to, yeah. to, to just be a division two coach. And I don't say, I don't mean just be, but to, to be a division two, I'm not even at North Carolina. I'm just, I'm at Virginia state. Yeah. For, for what, yeah. For what so, you love to do, you're willing to do anything is what you're saying. And that's exactly. and that, that's big time because you're talking about all the people in your life that you love, and how there mm-hmm. you know there's kind of your time has to be managed between all that, and they're going to be kind of getting the less of you when it comes to time. And they sacrifice, they sacrifice with me. Yeah, yeah. They sacrifice so, right along with me. They're... Yeah, exactly. Now that's very important to, to kind of state. That's why I ask those questions because it's really important to for people to know the general public. If somebody just li- chimes in like this and they know like. And these coaches really do a lot, like you said, at the Division Two level. Some people think it's it's only at the Division One level where guys have to grind real hard, and it's it's at every <laughs> yeah. level, man. It really is at every level. And even if you're running a really good uh, top level prep high school program, you're doing you're, mm-hmm. you're you're putting in crazy work as well. So like we're talking about yeah. all the people that are affected by you know what we do and the relationships and all that. How important is is, mm-hmm. is in your career, the coaching profession? How important is building relationships either with players or or with the coaching staff? How how important is that? Oh, relationships are everything. Relationships are everything, especially like you said, if you want to be in this thing for the long haul. Um, and especially relationship with your players. That's 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 huge because like we just talked about a minute ago, if you don't have your players on your side or you're um you don't have a good relationship. When times when times get hard, which can be any day, a loss, uh, exam week, uh, the tournament. You know, you're not having the, the season that you expected to have by game ten. You can lose your team. Yeah. Or I'm a part of a, an amazing staff, which I I love the guy I'm with, and they and they've challenged me. They've made me. They've opened my mind up to so many different things because they're coming from junior college in Philly, which was a great program as well. I come down to Virginia State, which is a, a, I'm, I work under a legendary coach. Like my coach just got every coach of the year award. Yeah. He got the big, uh, the big games award for Division Two. Wow, that's the coach of the year yeah. award for all you know for all Division Two schools across the country. So, um, I came in at a point where the staff was already good. They won. They won the CIAA. They won the conference championship. CIAA. They'd already won that. They've been 20 wins for the past four years before I got there. And so what can I come and contribute, you know? Yeah. What, you know, so it, it, it was important the way they embraced me and that our relationship began to grow as we all begin to understand each other and know we bring to the table. And they opened up to, you know, what I could bring to the table. They always respected my opinion um, from day one. And so that relationship was important. So now that, translate to the players because now the players know that the head coach is listening to you. Yeah. Because if the, if the players know that your opinion isn't valued to the head coach, then they don't value your opinion either. Yeah, that's no. huge. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Yeah, so great leadership, what they do is 
they they value people more than sometimes even their opinion. So when the people that they value give an opinion, they're like they're more apt to value that. You know what I mean? Like everything's within mm-hmm. the in the in the space and the scale of value. What do you value the most? And great leadership does value each and every person that's involved in the in the in the organization. And they also say, exactly. "Hey, I think that's a huge part of our success." Yeah, so they use everybody where they're where they're needed. They use them where they're the best. Everybody's strengths mm-hmm. are being used, and their weaknesses. We'll figure that out as we go along, and so that's that's mm-hmm. great. That's great to hear that those type of relationships are are, are being fostered where you're at. So, coach, what uh, like you're talking about family, and and all that, and uh, how how do you make more time for your family? When time's at a huge premium. You said it. You make it. Yeah. <laughs> you literally have to yeah. make the yeah. time. Um, so there's not a lot to come by. It's only 24 hours in a day. The season is from essentially August to March. You know, Division Two, March, April, if you're lucky, in Division One. Yeah. So it's only 12 months in a year. That's, what, eight months? Yeah. So, you know, you kind of have to you have to make the time. Um as, as it comes and that, that requires, especially when your family is not close. Like my son is in Fredericksburg at this point, the area in Northern Virginia. And I'm in uh, about uh, like the middle of central Virginia. And that's still an hour, hour and a half away. Yeah. And so I can't just go around the corner and see my son when I, when I want, when my mom lives in Maryland, I can't just, it's not just a, you know, there and back kind of trip, even though I, I do it and I've done it, yeah. but you know, it's, it's a, it's a preparation that goes into that mentally and physically. Yeah. to get to those places for the Thanksgivings, for the Christmases, for the birthdays, for, you know, we, I missed my son's birthday last year. We had a game. Yeah. You know, and tough. that that's hard for me because I never want to miss my son's birthday. It's a great day for him. Yeah. And, um, I didn't get to spend it with him because like I said, we were on the road for a game and I can't call out sick. It's not, <laughs> it's not a office job. You can't call out sick for a game because your son has a birthday. <laughs> yeah. That's you true. Know? And, yeah, so um, those those sacrifices and those um, those that time you can't get back. My son is six now. I can't go back to when he was four and do his birthday again now that I have a free January now. Yeah, so that you know, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the culture of your life is such that sacrifice, creating time, making time, making quality time, really is what it is. Mm-hmm. Not just that. It is. So, coach, looking looking at everything, kind of where where you started at as a volunteer uh, to an assistant now, uh, what would you say, as you've been on different teams at different levels, what do you? How would you? You know, how do you look at building culture? How how do you view that? Well, yeah, the culture has been different in every different setting and um, situation. Uh, culture is probably the most important thing to a team's success or just keeping the team together at all, even if you're successful or unsuccessful. (laughs) Your culture is probably the biggest thing. I heard someone say one time, when you first get a job, your first season is just building the culture. Yeah. If you're trying to win, you're probably not going to win. And, you know, some people inherit a good team. But um, other than that, like building the culture is probably the first step to a new team in a new situation. And um, funny story about culture, I'm glad you asked about that, is because, when I got to Virginia State, the culture is already great there. I mean, they won. Like I said, Coach Lonnie Blow is amazing. Coach Drew Williamson, he's amazing. Um, very sh- 
straightforward guys and they care about the players. I think that's the biggest part about a lot of the culture is just letting the players know you care about them and it's not just come play basketball for me and then go away. Yeah. Um, so the, when I got there, we it was transitioning. Some guys were coming in, some guys were coming out, but the original guys that they came in with were pretty much gone except for maybe two or three of them. So out of the 18 guys, 15 of them weren't there for the beginning of the culture when it was built, the foundation of it. Yeah. And so obviously the culture is going to have some holes poked in it because the people that built it or that, that established it aren't there anymore. Yeah. Um, so, so my first year I can recall coach saying, you know, we had, we talked to the guys, the coach, the culture is slipping a bit, the culture slipping. He talked to us, the culture slipping. We got to make sure we keep maintaining the culture because that's the, that's like one of the most important things that coach blow holds very high is the culture of the, of the team and the program and the culture slipping, the culture slipping a little bit, you know, so we got to make sure we tie those holes. And so what happened was one day, like I said, our staff is so, it's great. So my first year I'm trying to find my identity within the staff. Yeah. And so that was hard for me because I'm used to being a person that I take the initiative. I can just go do it. If it needs to be done, I go do it. If it needs to be done, I don't go do it. But in a lot of cases, to be honest, it just was nothing to do. <laughs> Because wow. these guys had such a system in place before I got there, I'm trying to figure out things to do to make myself useful wow. outside of the basketball part. Yeah, you know, I went outside of the court and the basketball. I got to find some way to make myself valuable. And I had a moment, and I'm getting a little deep on you, so bear with me. No worries. Um, there was a moment where I, I felt like my value wasn't there to myself, wow. not to the coaching staff. They always value me. I felt it was to myself how valuable am I to the staff? And I asked myself this question. I said, if I left today or if they just brought in an insert, take Maurice out, insert another person, would anything change about this program? Yeah. And my answer was no. Oh, wow. My answer was nothing would change. They would, wouldn't miss a beat. This is all in my head now. Yeah. And so I trying to figure out what my role or how my role can be more strong and useful I, I I literally I literally was losing sleep. I mean, I four in the morning I'm up, rolling over trying to figure out how do I add value to myself because, like I said, this is something I've sacrificed for and I want to do. So if yeah. I'm not valuable, why would somebody hire me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so so all I kept hearing one night it just rung in my head: the culture, the culture. We need to have a better culture. We need to solidify our culture. Get our culture back to where it was, and it hit me. Boom. My role is now: how do I? build the culture back up to what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's and so yeah, that's amazing. I, that you would even use you know, I'm as I'm thinking, as I'm hearing you talk about you're thinking about what value do I provide. That's not even being humil that's not even trying to be humble about it. It's more like you're <laughs> truly questioning my purpose on this, you know, this uh, organization. How, why am I mm-hmm. if they don't if I'm not bringing anything to the table I wouldn't want me here either. You know what I mean? If you can't find exactly. that. Exactly. So that, that's, that's a really solid moment to really come to. Yeah. And so once I figured that out, I decided to, I went on like a this vigilante rant in my head with myself to, um, to figure out how I can contribute to bringing the culture back to where coach standard of the culture should be. Yeah. And we're still winning games at this point. We, we broke the school record. We won 27, 27 and four. Wow. And coaches saying the culture, you know, the culture, the culture, culture, because it's bigger than the wins and losses. We want to make Definitely. sure that we're doing the right things the right way. Yeah. And that, that speaks to Coach Blow and how, why he's been so successful. 
And so um, we're 27 and four. We're the number one team in the region. We host the region um, playoffs. And, you know, great record-breaking season in, as far as wins. And so, like I say, the culture rung in my rung in my head one day. And I said, how do I – so I, I said, I talked to coach, and I said, what are, what are the pillars of the culture? He gave me about five pillars of the culture. And I said, great, I'm going to take those. I'm going to figure it out. So I added maybe two or three. I have a, It's about seven of them. So I, I, so I added three myself because I wanted to have my own touch on it. Yeah. I wanted to have my own touch on it. I wanted to have my own thing. And just thinking about the things that he said outside of what he just told me, I'm thinking of the things throughout the season that he's repeated over and over again. Yeah. And so I decided to build a culture program. And at the time, I don't know if you know the Migos that well. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they all I don't know him personally. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I said, they say do it for the culture in one of the songs. Yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. like, there it is. That's the title. Do it for the culture. So if you ever have a thought process of what decision you should make or how I should function or what I should be doing and not doing, just do it for the culture, and that will always lead you back to the right decision. Wow. That's key, Coach. Like maybe you know, that hits different, like they say, uh, because it, it just <laughs> yeah. it, it really does. And I, and, I know, and I know exactly where that's headed because, mm-hmm. you, you know, young people, even us as adults, we're looking at things like the why. Why? Why would I do mm-hmm. that? What's the meaning of that? Mm-hmm. Don't just tell me what to do, but, exactly. but why I'm doing it. And if it's for something yep. like that, for the team, for the culture, for like, don't let it down. Don't let go of what we've built. We've, we've come too far. That mentality, yeah. that, 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 wow. You can get so much out of young people and, and players and your coaching staff and your family when you're not going to let the culture down, what we're, we're, we've all strive for exactly. now. So that's, that's, that's really strong. something bigger than you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So kind of going now to that point, uh, you know, building culture throughout your career as a coach and the steps that you're going to take from here on out as well, what would you want your legacy to be when your career is all said and done? Well, I, w- I want my legacy to be that, you know, I did it the right way and for the right reason. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I, I-, I want a legacy. That's the, that's the first thing that's important to me. I want to have a legacy when I'm done coaching, when I'm done and they, you know, throw the last grain of dirt on top of me. I want it, I want it to be said that this was a good person and he did good things for other people. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm a person of service. My grandmother was an evangelist. Okay. And she used to do throw box parties and give away so much stuff. So when I was younger, we used to ride around with her all day, just yeah. giving away a trunk full of stuff. Whatever was in the trunk that day, that's what we gave away to whoever we came across. And so my my core is grained in service, which I found out through coaching. Yeah. Through this culture packet that I said I put to do it for the culture uh, program. I, I learned I'm learning all this. Like you asked a question earlier that I meant to get to that. You know how did you you know I'm sorry, I forgot what the question was, but um, you asked how did it, how did coaching affect you, or how did how did you get to where you got to in yeah. a certain kind of way? So, me building the culture and coaching taught me so much within this process of learning how to build the culture. Is that it? You know, I'm that I'm I'm a person of service. I want to serve people. I want to give my players what I had and good coaches and good quality men in my life. And given what I didn't have when I without having a father or yeah. uh, uh, a man I can just lean on all the time in my house, 
you know? So I want to give you what I had and give you what I didn't have at the same time. Yeah. And that's, that has a lot to do with what I want my legacy to be. I want my players to always know that Coach Mo was there for me. Coach Mo would do anything for me. And 20 years down the line, if you call Coach Mo, you know Coach Mo will at the very least listen. Yeah. Or if he can do anything about it, he'll do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think wins will come with that. Championships, success will come with that. If that's the mindset going in. And when I leave, I want a lot of wins. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we all do. Uh, I, I want my legacy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I want my legacy to be that, you know, I serve these young men. Yeah. That I was once one of these young men and people served me and made me a better person. Yeah. because of the service they provided for me. And I'm a better man today. I'm a better father today. I'm a better brother because of those men that provided this service of being in my life and being positive. Awesome, Coach. You know, servant leadership is always it's, it's a, the highest priority, when, especially when you hear again. Mm-hmm. My mind's always fixated on certain things, and one of the top things is like, how am I going to be an example today for the the kids and the people and the players and the parents and the people in the stands? And how am I going to be a great example for everybody as a leader? And the best way I can lead is by serving. If I'm willing to go out there and serve people, then they know, now nah, he's in it. He's in it for the culture. You know, he's in it, he's in it because yep. he knows there's too much at stake and there's too many people who are really, really, bought into this or sold out to it, however you want to look at it. And uh, so, yeah, I totally Coach, agree. yeah, I hear everything you're saying, and I and the perspective is, is is really good. I appreciate your time, man. I really do. I thank you for being no on. No problem. I appreciate you. Yeah, and I, I know uh, there's people that are really going to be able to benefit from this perspective, and, and I'm I'm so thankful that you came on. So thank you for your time, and, and I appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Coach. It's been a pleasure. Um, amazing experience. Uh, the questions, like I said, the questions. I knew when I read the questions that I was I was going to get deep because these questions really <laughs> hit home. It, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it automatically took my mind on the rant yeah. by just reading the questions. So gotcha. if I ran it too much, I apologize. <laughs> but you know, you you touched on some some things that really are what I'm passionate about yeah, that are yeah. important to me and my my coaching. You can hear it in your voice. Appreciate it, coach. <laughs> nope. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. You can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and you can even follow us on Twitter at Creative Coach 47. Thank you.